0: It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show, senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, Chris Mannix, on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Brought
1: to you, as always, by our friends at Lee's Heating and Air. Check them out online, leesheatac.com. Out to the Sprint Special Guest Line we go. Lease any phone and get an iPad or Samsung Tab A for ninety nine ninety nine. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. From Sports Illustrated, our friend Chris Manix Hi, Chris. What's going on, guys? Oh man, just uh, talking a lot. So much going on today with uh, with college football uh and of course the NBA, the Jazz in action tonight taking on uh the Brooklyn Nets. Talk about with uh, Jazz hottest team in the league right now, Chris, 14 out of the last 15, true the competition competition hasn't been, you know, uh uh a ton, but really they're working some things out and turning the corner, would you agree?
0: Yeah, look, I mean, I I watched a couple of games during this stretch and what stands out most of all is the return to elite-level defense—you um, know—you you, kind of knew that was going to happen. You don't—you don't forget to be a great defensive team overnight, especially when you return a lot of the key components of that defense. And it's taken them a little time to figure out—you know—kind of the—you know—the the Quinn Snyder system, the new players, and maybe playing a little bit smaller next to Rudy Gobert. But you know, this team recently has put up some—some some pretty solid. Uh, you know, defensive nights, and and I think that's going to be key. If you can always count on that defense, it's going to make it much easier to win in the playoffs. So that that's that's pretty much the the biggest takeaway there. You're right; the schedule hasn't been great, and you know we'll see what happens with Brooklyn, which is just getting Kyrie Irving back. But um, you know, play the teams that are in front of you, and, and they've been given uh, some light tests in in January, and they've they've taken advantage of it.
2: And Chris uh, one of the things that you remind us of on a regular basis when we ask you about the jazz is the Mike Conley factor and he hasn't yeah. been playing for him yet and so if if he comes back and he and the reentry is better than the initial launch <laughs> then uh it's it's pretty uh it's pretty amazing maybe what this team could turn into as far as contention goes.
0: Yeah, a- absolutely. I mean, you want Mike back of course sooner rather than later to continue that kind of integration process but even if it takes you know right up until you know the first week in april to get fully comfortable that that you're looking at a team that's dangerous on both ends if if he's clicking i mean obviously seating matters certainly in this postseason where you see the top five or six teams in the west kind of bunched together in terms of record now with the lakers having a little bit of separation right now but you know, I think for the Jazz, more importantly, it's just getting everybody on the same page and and playing at the highest possible level. And, and that is heavily dependent on Mike Conley's ability to, to fit in offensively. I think what they're doing defensively is, is going to continue, whether they're playing, you know, Charlotte or they're playing, you know, goal, you know, one of the better teams, Houston, San Antonio, Denver, in the Western Conference. Uh, you know, but the offense is where you kind of want to see some improvement over the next couple of months.
1: Chris, I believe I saw you tweeting about Joe Ingles the other day. Will you talk about how he's playing right now, and especially since moving into the starting lineup?
0: He's been great. I mean, you know, you he, he's such he's so reliable as a playmaker, and and that's something that with Conley out of the lineup, this team so desperately needs. And you know, Joe is that guy that you know, whether it's in transition, making the right pass, or just something as simplistic as keeping the ball moving and getting that hockey assist. You could always rely on him to be that guy with this team. And, and, you know, just the way this lineup shakes out, if you don't have that type of player, your offense is really going to stagnate. You're not going to be putting up the type of numbers they've been putting up uh, over the last five or six games. So he's become just, not become this year, he's always been uh, an invaluable part of this team's lineup, maybe even more so with the point guard situation being in flux like it is.
2: And, you know, the thing about Joe is he struggled to get in the league, Chris. I mean, the the Clippers cut him. Doc said that was a tough call on his part when he let him go. But now now he is, like you said, he is an absolute crucial part to what the Jazz are trying to do. I love stories like that. They're cool.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, these are the players you have to hit on to win at the highest level. I mean, we can – you know, I'm not knocking analytics or any of that stuff, how teams play, but – winning championships is not rocket science. You draft well and you identify the Joe Ingalls of the world that, you know, you're going to be able to flesh out your bench with when you know Royce O'Neal is another type of player along those lines last year. Where would the Raptors be without Pascal Siakam, the 27th overall pick in his draft uh, several years prior, I was just down in Orlando doing a story on Martel Fultz. Who, you know, he was the number one overall pick, but basically given up on by Philadelphia and he's turned out to be an excellent point guard, and with the potential to be a great point guard for the Magic. It's just you, you got to have a smart front office that identifies talent, and the Jazz consistently have shown they've been able to do that.
2: Not to mention, like guys like Emmanuel Mudiay, who's come in and is learning how to play basketball and helping the Jazz win. I want to. Yeah, I,
0: I like. I'll tell you this: I, I, I've always liked Mudiay, and it's been an uphill climb for him. You know, he, he came over from China from the beginning. And that, you know, I think contributed to a slow start. He you know, wound up with the Knicks, and we know how dysfunctional that is. But I, I wrote a profile on him before he came to the draft. I've always liked his attitude, his potential, and, you know, getting him with Quinn Snyder and getting him with that system, I think has been the right fit.
2: Yeah, I've been a piece of uh, genius, really. Speaking of 27th picks, Chris, uh, Rudy Gobert, has he gotten to the point now where people appreciate what he does enough to make give him elite status?
0: I mean certainly defensively, and he's a problem you know when he's left alone one on one in the low post I mean I think he's been the perception of him I feel like has been consistent for the last two or three years i mean he he elevated himself over the last couple of years when he really established himself as the top defensive player in this league, and I think the perception's been been strong and consistent towards gobert. Ever since, I mean, he's he has made some improvements on the offense. Have been to the floor, diversified his game a little bit every single year, but he's always, you know, widely viewed as just a, a you know the guy that's always the top of your defensive game plan. You have to figure out how to play when Rudy Gobert is on the floor, and I don't I don't think any player can get any better compliment than that to have their name listed first on an opposing team scouting report.
1: Chris Mannix with us from Sports Illustrated. And, uh, Chris, I realize this question is an impossible answer because Kyrie's only played 12 games so far with the Nets. But uh, talk about your thoughts on on his fit with that team.
0: You know, it, it's, I don't have, it, it's sort of an incomplete, right? Because he started the season, played, what, like 10, 11 games, and then went out of the lineup. So we didn't really get a enough of a sample size to see how Kyrie fit. Uh, alongside these players, but there are a lot of people, myself included. I'll be watching the game uh, tonight to just to see how you know Kyrie and Spencer Dinwiddie were, Kyrie and Karis LeVert were. All the questions that we had in September, October, you know, they're back again. Now that Kyrie's back in the lineup, and the Nets are, are relatively healthy at this point of the season, so you know it, it'll be interesting to watch. One thing to to keep your eye on when when Kyrie's playing before he went out of the lineup, the Nets were like 27th in the NBA in, in passes and. And that's a, that's obviously not a great number. When he went out, I think they went up to right around the middle of the pack in the NBA in that category. It's a long way of saying the ball tends to stick in Kyrie's hands when uh, you know you know when he's out there on the floor. And that's what I'll be watching: if the ball movement goes up, those assist numbers. You know, a good defensive team, and Kyrie's going to get his buckets, but a good defensive team will try to make sure he's the only one out there that's scoring. And guys like Karras and Joe Harris, who's a terrific three-point shooter, and and Spencer Dinwiddie, who. Has a real strong case, I think, this year to be an all-star. Um, and make sure those guys, you know, don't get off. So it, it's it's just hard to say, you know, what this team is with Kyrie because just don't have enough games to to create an opinion.
2: Speaking of guys returning, uh, the Pelicans on Thursday night, the Jazz face, and Zion looks like he'll be back in the lineup again. What do you make of him and his potential, and how much of a setback has him missing the first part of the season been?
0: You know, it's. A short-term setback, but I bring it back to what I mentioned about uh, Fultz earlier. I think in the NBA we get a little too, not just like fans or or people on the radio or reporters, but like team executives get too focused on the short-term. I mean, yeah, I was thinking about this the other day. Like, where would Minnesota be if they said, you know what, screw it, we'll wait for Joel Embiid for a couple of years? I think they'd be pretty happy or happier than they are with Andrew Wiggins at that spot right now. I'm watching Michael Porter play in Denver who's, you know, had some very good games and started to show that, you know, kind of top 2 pick potential. Where would the Clippers be if they said, "You know, we have two first round picks. Let's not take Jerome Robinson at 13 and wait a year on Michael Porter at 14." I mean, I just think we get a little too wrapped up in the moment on the short term. There there are some legitimate concerns as it relates to Zion Williamson. I mean, look, I don't think I've to looked too much further than Blake Griffin. I mean, Blake Griffin's another one of those guys that's know kind of big on top and plays really explosive and has had a litany of knee problems throughout the course of his career including the one that ended his season this year that's something I'd be wary of I mean I, I, you know, there's so many you know medical practitioners types on, on these NBA teams I'd really want to dig in to find the best way to make sure that Zion's top heavy body is able to t- sustain that type of explosiveness throughout the course of his NBA career so he doesn't have those types of neat problems. But, uh, you know, you don't want to project too far out with these guys. It's, it stinks, you know, for the fan and for the Pelicans, certainly, that he hasn't been able to play up until this point this season. But I, I'm not going to get too concerned about it having a long-term effect when he's all of like, what, 19 or 20 years old.
1: Chris, I want to ask you about Kevin Love, and he had some bizarre behavior about a week ago. Maybe it was a, a couple of weeks ago now, and he's just there in Cleveland who's obviously going to or going down the rebuilding road. How easy is he going to be to move and with that contract? And I guess who are some candidates?
0: Not easy. Um, not impossible, though. And I, I fully expect Kevin Love to be moved uh, before the deadline. The Cavs have let teams know they're open for business, and a lot of teams have talked to them. Uh, I think Miami is a team to really watch on that. Uh, the Heat have some expiring contracts, can throw some draft considerations in there. Though I'm not really sure how much draft consideration Kevin Love warrants given the the status of that contract. I mean, the biggest problem I, the biggest concern I hear from you know general managers when it comes to Kevin Love is, you know, you know, in 18 months or so that contract can be really bad. he's got two years left on that deal and and who knows what he's going to be able to deliver. But Miami doesn't care. I mean, they're, they're just locked in, in the short term, and they see a team with Jimmy Butler, who's playing exceptionally well, Kendrick Nunn, who's come out of nowhere. They've got a bunch of guys that can play on the fringes. Kevin Love's another guy that, that could help them. So I think Miami's at the top of the list. I think there are other teams kind of poking around. The Clippers, I think, are a team to watch. Boston, I think, though they don't really have the contracts to make a deal like that, is a team to watch. And Portland... You know, Portland's a team I think they should just go get him because they're so landlocked with some of their bigger salaries that if you're not going to trade the expiring contracts of Hassan Whiteside and and Kent Baysmore now, I don't know what you're going to do. I mean, the argument against is you you might be able to be a player in free agency next summer. First, free agency next summer stinks. Second, who has ever come to Portland? Like, when was the last time they landed a top-tier free agent? So that's the team I think should be really aggressive. But if I was going to guess right now, I think Miami's in the front-runner position.
2: Chris, the West is a little bit like the East in that uh, both conferences have sort of a big six teams. Uh, in the West, though, after those top six, you have the Thunder, the Grizz, the Spurs, the Blazers, as you were talking about. Can any of those teams crowd in with the others, or do you think they're just going to be afterthoughts into the postseason?
0: Well, uh, you know, I, I I never bet against the Spurs. That's just a... a philosophy you learn from decades of covering the NBA. Um, I think the team that's most interesting is Oklahoma City because, you know, look, Shea Gilders Alexander is awesome. Like, that, that kid can play. I mean, that is that is the centerpiece of that deal for Paul George. I mean, he is a legit star of the making who is only getting better. We already have 20 and 20 the other night. I mean, he, he is excellent. And Chris Paul is playing at that level we saw Chris Paul play. During that conference final season, we saw uh, him play in Houston. Throw in Steven Adams and Zillo Gallinari, and they can score enough. And I think Billy Donovan deserves strong consideration for Coach of the Year this year for how he's got that team at that level. So that's probably the team, if I'm one of those top three teams, that's probably the one that I don't want to play in the first round. The problem with Oklahoma City and projecting out is that they might make a deal. I mean, Gallinari's in the last year of his contract – Sam Presti, if he thinks he can get something real for Gallo from a team that needs a wing score, is probably going to move him. And Stephen Adams has been on the trade block for a while as well. So if they keep that team intact, that's probably the team I wouldn't want to play. I've kind of I've kind of waved the white flag on Portland this season. I mean, their their guards are still great, but they just don't get enough production out of the other positions to to make me feel like they're a threat to a top three team.
1: Chris, thank you very much as always. Have a great week. You got it, guys. Thanks, Chris. Chris Mannix. Senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated.